the Power of Plushies podcast hosted by me, Humphrey, and Human. Today, I am joined with Sophie from Bumble and Bee. Welcome. We're super excited to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited. This is my first ever podcast. <gasps> Yay! I'm really excited. And as someone who listens to them literally every day, it's <laughs> surreal that I'm on one. <laughs> well, we're super excited to have you. And you're not really like a plushie account, but you make plushies. And so this is kind of new territory for us. Like, we kind of have like a little bit of a designated set of questions that we ask plushies. So forgive us as we're going on this journey together um, of, I guess, a new set of questioning and but you're such an interesting account and you do fall into the lines of being a plushie in my category so and you're kind of in our community and I do have I do have some of my I was about to say the word iconic and then I realized oh that sounds so arrogant that sounds (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't (laughs) no but I do have um two plushies who I I made and they were some of I I don't want to say my happy accidents, but they were my first of a kind. So I have my original house elf edit, not house elf, free elf, free elf. He's not a house elf. He was freed from birth (laughs) um, called Subumble, whose name is taken from my business account, Bumble and Bee. And so he kind of symbolizes that it's okay to bumble along in life. And he's a bit of an anxious soul, but he's getting there with the help of my other very prolific on Instagram niffler called Sanugget and I created him when I just started to use faux fur yarn and I accidentally used the wrong size crochet hook I was meant to use a six millimeter crochet hook and about three quarters of the way through making him I realized I was using a five millimeter so he came out about two thirds of the size of my normal nifflers and oh. so called him the runt of the litter oh cute ended up living with me and one day I just decided that because I I've always been into literature I did an English literature degree so I'm very into storytelling and I thought why don't I do a post on my Instagram account by Sanugget so it's as if Sanugget's writing the post which kind of that's when I started to get interested in the plushy community more because obviously that was quite a similar thing oh. and he did his first post and I just kind of the the character oh I started doing more and more posts by him and his character just started to develop and he's essentially he, he is a, I call him like the Niffler equivalent of Gilderoy Lockhart in that he has a real ego on him like he is <laughs> nothing will phase him he thinks he is the bee's knees and he's essentially my alter ego i mm. i am more like sir bumble the free elf i'm i'm a warrior i'm a self doubter i am a perfectionist i overthink things whereas sir nugget is very this will be amazing this will be great nothing can stop us and so yeah i kind of see him as my alter ego and he reminds me you know, it's okay to have a bit of self-belief and to a bit of, I call it self-promotion with a capital yeah. E for Elf. 
Um, so yeah, so yeah, yeah, I do kind of have that's how I feel a resonance with the plushy community because I've developed these characters, especially Sunnugget, who even the fact he has a, he has a knighthood, don't know how he got that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't it certainly wasn't for me, but yeah, I so and I really like that whole character building and essentially that's a bit of therapy for me without even realizing it because by writing those posts with this really confident life's gonna be okay captions that he does it kind of reminds me I'm almost talking to myself like this you've got this this is okay you can do this they're a little bit yin and yang to one another yeah and it's so cool that you know, like you said, you're you have like your alter ego in there, and and they're so cute. I I love all of your plushies that you create and your alter your alter egos. I love your posts, everything about you. Your I love um, your catchphrase soul smiles. Yeah. It's, oh, it's uh, that, <laughs> it just. I, th- I think it's, I found a bit on social media, it's this whole idea of things being a filter and mm-hmm. that people often, so there's this often when you go into shops, you'll see the slogan, be happy on mm-hmm. stuff. And it it started to really irritate me because I mm-hmm. felt it was like someone telling you, you know, just be happy, be okay. And it's, no, you've actually you can't just put on appearances. You can't just wear, you know, wear the slogan t-shirt and then you're happy. You've got to actually feel it and find it in yourself. And Mm -hmm. so I think the idea of it makes my soul smile rather than it makes me smile, grin for the camera. It was like being something really deep and meaningful, which you can't quite put into words and no camera can really capture because it's about you feeling it. Mm -hmm. I completely, I completely agree. And I love that, like you said, you can't capture it in a camera. Mm. It's something so deep in your soul. And it's not something that the media, that the media gets. Like recently I was, I don't remember what show I was watching. Um, Oh gosh, he's one of the the late night um, comedians, but he's, he's really funny. And he was talking he had a segment on there about how people are actually addicted to political hate mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> it's addictive like cocaine in a sense where you get this, you know, 60 second gratification because you trolled someone on the internet and you said something negative against, you know, their political view. And now you feel good about yourself and it's this vicious cycle because then they say something back to you and it's, you know, hate is addictive. Mm. And, and how do you, yeah, how do you break that cycle? And, and I and, think, well, what ends up, sorry, but yeah, what ends up happening is that people get so addicted to hate that they lose the ability to be objective about things. So mm-hmm. I think what can happen is someone decides that, say someone in the media, high profile, they decided, I just don't like them. And I call it um, leader of the opposition syndrome. So in the UK, we have a leader of the opposition who kind of goes 
fires questions at the prime minister every week. And it's not so bad now, but in the past, there's been times where they will just criticize them just because they're the opposition and they've made them into the enemy. And it's that you can never find common ground. And that's what happens. They get so addicted to hating someone that anything they'll do, like if this person breathes, it'll be, they've stolen oxygen from the world. (laughs) It just gets so... It's ridiculous. Yeah. And so I completely like love how you how you have this um I guess opposite viewpoint where you are working on being addicted to love and soul smiles and being authentic and that doesn't mean that your life is perfect because it's not and we before the podcast we actually had a really beautiful conversation about um failure and um you know how that's more what did we say I don't remember how you worded it how it's more true or more relatable and so it doesn't make it doesn't mean that you're I'm, I'm babbling now it doesn't mean that you're having this perfect life but I I just really like your attitude basically and I think that that you are a relatable person because you're doling out these soul smiles <laughs> and you are very authentic. It makes people gravitate to you. Yeah, I think I've always had this thing where I said, even if I closed my Etsy shop tomorrow and, oh, someone's driving somewhere. Nice little car noise. Um, <laughs> been, so even if I had to close my Etsy store tomorrow and speaking of the whole how things are never as perfect that there's been stuff that's happened in the past six months to nine months where I've had moments where I've thought I'm just going to close it because it was just getting quite there were toxic things going on behind the scene which I just didn't want to be involved in there was you know I had worries about copyright with certain things I was doing and I just reminded myself, I said, no, because even if my Etsy shop closed tomorrow, I would still do Instagram. Like I had my Instagram account long before I was posting on Etsy. I'm still on the same Instagram account I had when I was in senior school, which is high school in the UK. Mm -hmm. Like I never opened a new account for my business. So if you scroll back far enough, you will find photos of me from 2010 probably going to my um, senior school prom like I just I never changed it because yeah and again that goes back to this is me take it or leave it I can't really separate I am my business and I I don't even call it a business like I'm Bumble and Bee the whole again same brand sounds very big-headed but like it's it's an ethos for me and Mm -hmm. It's not just about, like, I have this little mantra, which is souls over sickles or souls over sales. Like, I I love writing. For me, that's, it's about the storytelling and the whole fact I've made a business out of it where I can get some kind of income, however, which isn't really an income because it all goes back into materials and packaging and new products. But it's, that, that for me, it's, all about the community like that's what 
that's what makes my soul smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's so cute. And I love you do a lot of reels lately. I've noticed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I've. Yeah, no, I do a lot. Of, I do a lot of reels. Yeah. And you you talk a lot about being authentic. Um, I that's another one of your catchphrases is souls over sales. Um, but why don't you talk a little bit about your reels? Yeah, so I I think I'm always the kind of person where I I like to try new things, but I also like to be consistent about it. Mm-hmm. I I feel a bit like when Ron was reading the tea leaves in the teacup and he goes. So you're going to suffer, but you're going to feel happy about it. Because it's like, that doesn't seem consistent. I'm like, I love trying new things, but I like to be consistent. But no, I think I, especially social media can feel like a bit of an uphill battle at the moment. At least that's what I found with so many people using it and reach going down. I think I like to think of new ways to reach people, but also to deliver my content in another way. And I didn't really get into TikTok last year. Uh, 99% of the world seemed to, but I didn't. And Reels kind of came on about October last year, I think. And I thought, oh, this seems really fun. Like, I like recording videos. I dabbled in YouTube, which I called SpewTube after the Spew, the Spew crew. Spew and- <laughs> oh, that's cute. Um, so I was like, SpewTube. But I found that my perfectionism really got the better of me with that and I would spend hours upon hours editing videos I would be cutting out the tiniest bit of audio like really and so I was putting so much into these videos and I was putting them up on YouTube and they weren't compared to the engagement I'd get on Instagram it just wasn't getting the reach because my community wasn't really there like my community is so I say my community sounds very weird, but um, no, but like the people who engage with my content, they're on Instagram. And so I thought, well, this could be a really fun way to just make videos without overthinking it. Because with reels, they're very quick. They're also, they don't have to be as sharply edited, I don't think. And yeah, I thought, you know, I'm just, so I think the first one I filmed was I got a yarn delivery and I just filmed me opening it. And I didn't edit it or anything. I just did it in like a minute, uploaded. And I really liked it. I thought, this is really fun. I loved picking the music to go with it too, because I love music. And Me too. I love timing the certain, so that's, as I moved on, I love timing the music to certain bits. And yeah, I just decided I'm going to try filming more reels. And then I started looking at how people were using those really cool transitions where they'd like, put an item to the screen and quickly pull it back. So I downloaded some, I think I use, it's called InstaShot or IG Shot on my phone, but it's a really accessible, if you ever want to edit videos, I'll actually, I can check the name here. Um, yeah, it's called, it's called InShot. Okay. InShot and I just put clips in there you can edit them so that when you put something to the screen and pull it back it can be really quick I did the whole thing where you like turn do a twirl and then as you twirl around you're holding something different so it's just 
as someone who's a creative person, I found it so much fun to experiment with these new things. And people also started saying like, you're getting better at doing, like your reels are really good, which was really nice because- Yeah, they are really, like your reels great. are really fun to watch. In the in a Ravenclaw in me was like, this is learning a new skill. Like I'm becoming a real editor. Yeah. And it was really nice as well because you can also if you get on the explore page new people can find you and mm-hmm. I had one and I'm very conscious of not focusing on numbers and what I have found especially with social media recently I've been having to check myself because even though I talk about the re- very reason I talk about things like goals over statistics and all that is because for so long I struggled with valuing numbers so how many followers and likes I had over actually the words which is the captions the community and all that and but I so I do still occasionally struggle with it and I do have to check myself like I'd be lying if I said I never think oh I've stopped growing I've never you know my um, my business is stagnating in terms of numbers so what I did find so but one of my reels it got about 15,000 views but the really nice thing was that it was the reel I did where I um it was I started off by saying this is what social media tells you should matter and I did about I I basically then I said numbers over words statistics over smiles so I did everything that I don't believe and then I like shook my head and I went no this is what you should this is what should matter. And I actually showed the pins I got made. I got this golden snitch with seek what makes your soul smile written on it. And then I got another pin, which I called my value of love pin. And it was a gold circle and a green heart. And it had love is worth more than all the galleons and gringotts written on it. And so that was kind of, I just received the pins the previous week. And Mm -hmm. so I showed these pins in the video and said like these are my values this is what I stand for again take it or leave it and apparently quite a lot of people wanted to take it and a lot of people that way and said wow this is so true and I said well why is no one else talking about it (laughs) I can't be the only person on social media talking about this yeah no and I think a lot of people I think you're right to start up that conversation. A lot of people feel that way. We recently had um, a conversation amongst some plushy friends, actually, that were saying they just felt bad about, you know, pressures about numbers and, and likes and posts and everything. And I said, when I post something, I'm posting it to make others feel good, whether yeah. they want to look at it, not look at it. I don't care. I'm posting it to try and cheer someone up. Exactly. And what I do think as well is, so what I really put a lot of emphasis on, and occasionally you'll get Instagram, there'll be always a a little moment every couple of months where they said, this is what Instagram is really valuing now in the algorithm. So there was something about like the super like button was if someone saves your posts or if someone shares your post. Yeah. Um, I was like, "Mm, that's, that apparently that was a load of rubbish anyway apparently that there was no truth to that but I said oh really so yeah yeah apparently it was a complete lie 
Um, but I said, so if you're just scrolling through your feed, and I rarely do that these days, I actually have post notifications turned on for people whose content I really like. So mm. then I'm missing stuff. And I people can just scroll through and just, they're like, oh, that photo's kind of nice. Press like, keep scrolling. They might not even read the caption. Whereas if someone comments, they have taken the time to read the caption, engage with the content and share something. So I always think, so my likes on my posts have gone down significantly in the past year. I get about half to a third of the likes I used to get on photos a year ago. Um, wow. I, know, I know I'm not alone in that. I've spoken to others who said it's happened. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of, yeah, I've, so sometimes it annoys me actually that my follower account, I'd almost rather my follower account be half the size and just get rid of all the like white noise and like the people who just don't really care anymore. You know, I'm wondering if it's the same for me. I guess I haven't really looked at my likes lately, but then also I'm, I should pull up a likes and look at it. Cause I know I've gotten a lot more followers, but I don't think my likes have gotten gone. Up. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of, I've, but then I, so again, I, but then I go back to the, so I know, like, I know my likes have gone down quite significantly. However, my comments are just the same, if not more. Mm-hmm. So for every person liking my post, the percentage, the conversion rate between likes and comments has gone up. And mm-hmm. so it's, again, it's how you look at things. So a lot of people will say, oh, my followers aren't very high or my likes aren't very high. But that's not really what matters because especially as a business account, if I'm looking at it completely from a business point of view, I'm far more likely to get a customer from a comment than I am from a like. Mm -hmm. Because I'm very much about, I put emotion into my products. I put, it's about connection. And so if someone comments to say they like something, that's far more cl- more likely to eventually convert into a sale than uh, a like would. But even if it doesn't convert to a sale, like, I don't really care. It's just lovely that someone's commented. Um, yeah. So like, I'll often say, I, I never go to bed thinking, oh, wow, that Instagram post got 572 likes. Like, yeah. I've never gone to, I mean, I've never had a post get that many likes for starters. But like, I've never, I would never go to bed or wake up thinking that. However, I might, the last thought I have in the day might be that comment on my Instagram post was so lovely and that I get some absolutely beautiful comments on my Instagram post. Sometimes people write things and I just think, you're such a lovely human. Like that is, someone's taken the time out of their day to write something that lovely. And yeah, like, that is far more meaningful and sometimes you'll look at these influencers and they'll have thousands who have thousands of likes and hundreds of thousands of followers and you look at their comments section and it's literally just gorgeous babes love you babes oh my god and like all the comments are just <laughs> like super, what, superficial what, like what is this and or just tagging it's why i one of my pet, pet oh gosh yeah is when people do giveaways and, I, and I've spoken a bit about this, yeah. but um, I have a real issue with the way giveaways are very, it, it may seem as like a random act. It's not really a random act of kindness because a lot of people, the reason they're doing it is to try and get more followers and likes. And yeah. they'll just say to win this 
to win this camper from somewhere, um, like this post, and then in the comments tag three friends, and it's enter as many times as you want. And so their comments, they've literally got a thousand comments, but all those comments are is just people tagging people. Yeah. And I like, I see a giveaway as like an opportunity to just do something meaningful. So I always ask a question. So I'll say like at Christmas, I said, because in the UK, we had to have bubbles, support bubbles because of the pandemic. And I said, um, imagine one person might have to spend Christmas on their own. So in the Harry Potter world, one person might have to spend Christmas on their own. Who would you invite into your support bubble? So I was very torn between Hagrid and Remus Lupin like that. That was such a hard decision. But yeah. I, I gave them as my examples because otherwise they might be on their own at Christmas. But it was just a way to get people to think about, it was just, yeah, a way to do something nice. And people gave such amazing creative answers. Like someone said, I'd invite George because he's probably really upset that Fred isn't there. And I, I cried, I genuinely oh, cried. So lovely. Um, and yeah, it's, but like for me, it was, you haven't, when you do giveaways, it's an opportunity to do something really positive. And yet a lot of the time it can just be, people see it as an opportunity for like self-service. I've noticed, yeah, I've definitely noticed that too, which I'm approaching my 5,000 mark. Yeah. It's amazing. And a part of me is like, should I do a giveaway? And then part of me is like, I don't want to do a giveaway just because I want to seem like I want to get more followers. And, but, you know, yeah, you're, you're torn. Yeah, I th- that's why I very much, I, so I love doing giveaways because I do like celebrating certain milestones I reach. So yeah, me, I'm coming up to, well, I say I'm coming up to, but I'm on around 1700 sales on Etsy. But okay. I know that, I was on about a thousand last autumn. So wow. later this year, fingers crossed. That's um, amazing. Especially because I've got more non-crochet products coming out, which will naturally sell more than crochet. Like yeah. I hit the 2000 mark later this year. And I think that that's such a huge milestone for me. Um, but I think it's about how it's very, I like doing giveaways because I like to think I can, give back to people as well not everyone can afford and I'm very acutely aware that not everyone can afford one of my crochet obesities so it's nice to give people the opportunity to have that but I think you can absolutely do a giveaway without it being um focused on like use my feel free to use my format if you want like about the question because I know someone yeah. else in the magical crochet community recently did a giveaway and she didn't ask people to like the post she said like save it if you want to be notified kind of when the giveaway is ending and see other people's responses but she did um she asked a question and she uh, is very much for me she said it's really lovely because yeah you just you get you you can read the comments and I like to think the comments section is like a little prize in itself because even when people don't win the actual prize which is the item you're giving away they've been able to read all these lovely comments and yeah 
it's a gift for me so hopefully it feels like a gift for other people um and it's not even like I'm it's not a gift from me it's a gift from everyone to each other um which I think is really lovely I completely agree with that not a gift not a gift from you but a gift from everyone just reading the comments it's super lovely yeah all right perfect (laughs) thank you so you actually have an interesting backstory of how you started crocheting in the first place yeah it's um very much an example of I often talk on my social media about how I'm a big believer in silver linings yeah I'm very much not one of those people who is toxic positivity who is when someone says I'm not feeling great you'll be like it'll be okay tomorrow like I think that can get very toxic yeah but what I am a believer in is that if you are in a negative place and you can only see negatives from it it's a bit like seeing failure as absolute um and the podcast I talked about how to fail in the UK with Elizabeth Day it's about saying even in failure you can find successes Mm -hmm. and I started crocheting I I use the Dumbledore analogy in one of if happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if only one remembers to turn on the light which is not actually a book quote a lot of people don't know that but that's a film filmism not a filmism um but I very much say in the darkest of times crochet and Harry Potter were my light so I am when I was in just going into sixth form which is college in the UK just before the two years before you go to university I'd always been quite struggled quite a lot with perfectionism at school and because I am a type 1 diabetic I think that did feed into that um that's a really given what I'm about to say the feed into that is a very interesting choice of words (laughs) but I so I was always quite insular at school I was by no means shy as this podcast has probably shown I know I know how (laughs) but I I am quite an introspective person and I think always felt a little different and going into sixth form I'd just really started to get quite down I'd I think looking back I definitely had depression in the time I was doing my GCSEs which is your like age 16 exams um, which was just after a series of things and my my auntie died I got swine flu like a lot of things happened in that year and I just got very down and I then around the time my GCSEs I was just starting to get more anxious around food and I was also my blood sugars weren't great with my diabetes and this was kind of the catalyst. I was just, I knew my exams were coming up. My blood sugars were everywhere, probably with stress. And I had this little thing in my head that said, well, if you're not eating as many carbs, then your blood sugars will be okay because you won't have the whole battle with your insulin all the time. Um, And I just want to put a huge disclaimer out here now. That does not work 
like it does not make your blood sugars better so if anyone has ever thinking that is a magical fix no it's not and I learned mm-hmm. that the very 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 hard way um and over the next yeah so the, f- the penultimate year of my high school education before I went to university I just got into the very bad throes of an eating disorder um and I don't want to like go into too much detail about it because yeah. I think like it's you know a very sensitive topic and I never ever want to be one of those people that triggers someone else's and I could go into a whole other rant about social media and recovery accounts and how that is a, a rabbit hole that no one wants to go down yeah uh, but I yeah it, it got very full-on very quickly um with just struggling with food various behaviors that I only just I just about got through my first exams in college and by the time of my final year I was I'd kind of opened up to family that and my healthcare team that I was struggling and for the next year I was in services trying to gain weight because my weight had gotten to a very bad place um and I just about so I managed to get to a healthy weight just before I sat my final exams and I got into my first place university and it all looked like okay this was a blip in my life and I'm gonna be okay now it's fine I'm gonna go to uni I'm gonna break free from this eating disorder once and for all because I'll be at uni and it'll all be and I think for about the first year of my the good the first year of my uni life I convinced myself that was true my weight was relatively stable I in my head was eating normally and all that and I think it was only in that summer that I realized no um um um, this isn't this isn't okay again and I mean hindsight is a wonderful thing you could argue well if I'd taken a gap year before I went to uni like would it have been okay but then I don't necessarily think that is true because I'm someone who I need a focus in life Mm -hmm. and I think it's really when you're in recovery from any mental illness there is such a conflict between people saying so healthcare teams will often say you need time and space to heal you know you don't want to have a full-on people will say you know take time off work take time off education because you need to heal but on the flip side if you don't have any focus or any purpose in your life then you can lose sight of what you're recovering for and giving you distractions so yeah I think it's a really difficult balancing act and I don't think there is a a right answer that's a really that is a super fair point Mm. and because I know my recovery is completely different from what your recovery is and I'm not it's not apples to apples but but Uh, I can yeah I can relate because after my kidnapping um I definitely you know stayed home and I had um, fear of leaving the house and I did have to recover um, and I was struggling you know with my I don't know if I would call it mental illness or mental wellness or what 
but um, I had a lot of the same, the same issues of, okay, you know, I have an end goal in sight that I want to be well. Mm. Um, I do need to take time off, but how do I get back to life? And how do I, what is my goal? And how do I get there? And how do I not go like completely stir crazy at home? And what's, what's my focus? And so finding that little, that little balancing act, that's hard. That is like really hard to do. And like I said, I just don't think there's a right answer. And there's not, (laughs) there's not back. So I went back to uni in my second year with more awareness that I'm probably not amazing. I was also at this point really struggling with my diabetes again, with my blood sugars. Mm. It turns out I was wearing an insulin pump. And because for a time when I was wearing my insulin pump during my college years, I'd, and this is like my sixth form, so this is before uni, but I was very underweight. I'd been putting my, with an insulin pump, you have like a tiny like tube that sits just under the surface of your skin um, and you change it every three days. But because I didn't have much kind of flesh to put it into, um, I developed a lot of scar tissue. And Mm. after, I I wore it for almost 10 years, inevitably I was going to get scarring tissue. And it kind of came to a head where just as I went into my second year of university, my blood sugars were just everywhere. It was like the insulin wasn't going in. And in hindsight, it was just, it was scar tissue. It was a really big problem. And I made the decision quite in hindsight, quite abruptly and probably not with the best consultation of anyone else because by then also I was probably back in the throes of my eating disorder. So my cognition wasn't great. I wasn't good at communicating at all and I just said I, I'm done I, I want to be I'm not keeping the insulin pump I need to come off it and I switched back to injections but all of that doing that while at university I my blood sugars it got to the point my blood sugars were so high they said I needed to have a saline drip and um, because I was so dehydrated mm-hmm. and that it was like a whole load of things happened where it was quite a lot to deal with. And, and I'd kind of, I'd had two bereavements as well in quite a short space of time with my grandparents, um, Mm. within the space of I think seven, six, seven months. So there was just a lot of stuff going on that year. And I, I basically said like the answer is just throw myself into uni even more. And so I threw myself into the student newspaper. I was first an online book, editor of the online book section then I was features editor which is one of the biggest jobs um on the paper and along that doing all my uni work I decided to just go to loads of other societies and just keep myself really busy in the meantime though I wasn't looking after myself and everything was about getting being the perfect editor having the pages look gorgeous in the meantime getting trying to chase are getting firsts for my degree so in the UK you have a grading system and, and a first is like an honours I think it's you're in America it'll be an honours degree but it's yeah. the highest grade degree and I was like borderline every time but also my cognition wasn't great so my essays were probably 
riddled with typos and just not properly proofread and I, I yeah I was just I was chasing perfection again and this is something that goes back to when I was in from very early on in school I think when I got diagnosed with diabetes subconsciously you kind of or at least in my case I felt like I was starting from 10 meters behind everyone else in a 100 meters race that's kind of how I compare it to that I had a handicap but rather than being helped along a bit by other people which you know in them certain you know situations someone might say well if you've got a handicap that wasn't your fault society will help you along a bit I was like no it's my fault I've got to run 10 times faster than everyone else to make up that extra 10 meters I was behind and that's kind of always how I felt going and I used academia as a way to deal with that so I said if I get the top grades if I am top of my class if I am doing everything perfectly then I am fulfilling a def I'm filling a deficit um and that kind of really reared its head again at university it gotten marginally better in my first year but by second year that was definitely rearing its head again I felt I needed to prove something um and what I didn't and because I was under I wasn't nourishing myself properly my mind got more and more fixed on that idea and more narrow tunnel vision I've just got to do this and to cut a long story short by halfway through my third term it was during my not my third term sorry so halfway through my third year I I was running on empty I just didn't have the energy anymore I had pushed myself so far I was told by my healthcare teams both for my diabetes and the mental health services I think you need to go into hospital and I was like no I don't um like what what on earth are you talking about I don't I'm absolutely fine I obviously wasn't fine and deep down I knew I wasn't fine but I didn't think it had gotten that bad and they said look we don't think we can we don't think you're healthy enough to keep doing your degree and to stay in university and I ended up suspending my studies six months before I was due to graduate so it was a three-year degree and two and a half years into it with only about four assignments to go I in my head was throwing in the towel which is completely not true I was suspending I wasn't dropping out and even if I was I mean I hate using the phrase drop out even if I was just to say leaving my degree I'm never coming back like that would be absolutely okay and I can know that now but at the time it was if I was on Elizabeth Day's How to Fail podcast that would definitely be getting a mention um, because Because you would have been saving your life exactly and and that's what I was doing and I so yeah I left university um and went into hospital for three months um I think yeah it was three months so I went in two days before New Year's Eve and I was discharged on I think the first day of April or the last day of March and it was 
one of the most traumatic experiences of my life slash one of the most important and necessary experiences of my life and again I could do a whole podcast on the ins and outs of inpatient treatment and how I think it's not it has lots of issues that need changing but that that's for another day but mm-hmm. one thing I did find was so important was that I when I was in that setting the first thing they said was you're not doing work because I had it in my I was still when I first went in I had it in my head that I could keep doing my assignments and somehow do university remotely even though I'd officially suspended my head was so just undernourished and doolila that I thought I can just keep doing my work and I can I can write my dissertation in here and I can submit it and it'll be fine and it wasn't and I then eventually about two weeks in I had to come to terms with that and they said look what makes Sophie Sophie like what speaks to Sophie because they said you have spent so long either thinking about academia or thinking about your eating disorder like that has consumed your mind that has consumed your life you need to find things that just make Sophie happy and then I was a bit oh well academia makes me happy it doesn't my eating disorder makes me happy it doesn't and I (laughs) said well Let's you go. Sound, that sounds like me when my therapist tried talking to me about who am I and yeah. and I'm like well I'm a mother well I'm a wife well I'm an employee no and and it's it's so hard when they like slap you in the face with this question yeah of and, what makes you happy and, yeah and I said okay let's go back to childhood Sophie and I thought back to probably the only time in my life where I can have a comparable experience was when I was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of seven in terms Mm -hmm. of having this medical shock happen where your life feels a bit put on hold. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the thing that made me happy was Harry Potter. It was such a comfort to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I found within those stories, like just such like wrapping a blanket around you. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to reread Harry Potter. I, I, you know, I have a lot of downtime. You spend hours upon hours sitting in the lounge after meals because you have to be under something called OBS, which is observations after meals to check, you know, you're not crazy exercising in your room and whatnot. And I just sat there and I read and I thought, there are some amazing mental health messages in these stories and I, I hadn't really realized that before, but so stand out for me, obviously the Dementors, I thought a really powerful analogy for depression. I thought that Luna was such a powerful advocate for being yourself and not letting kind of society's expectations of how you should be dictate how you should be. And so I very thought that spoke to me in terms of I'd spent, when I first read the books all those years ago, the character that I loved most was Luna And actually, all that stuff with chasing academic perfection, chasing numbers was very not Luna. And I look back and I love this interview with Vanna Lynch, who played Luna. 
gave where she said that Luna reminded her of how she wanted to be and she herself struggled with an eating disorder and so I felt I could really resonate with that because just as she found Luna helped her Luna could help me too and then finally the one I absolutely loved was Dobby because I read it and I thought do you know who the Malfoys remind me of a mental illness because I thought that so you're a bit you can just feel so imprisoned by it and constantly Mm. especially there's in treatment they call it the eating disorder voice and it's where it's like saying to you you know you need to do this you need to do that you need to weigh this you need to care about this and that is essentially what the Malfoys do to Dobby they I felt Dobby you're my spirit spirit elf here because I can relate to feeling you know clean up your laundry and iron it again and again and again and again and it's it's just endless and in the end it takes him thinking there is a higher purpose here beyond this life and he socks it to the Malfoys and sets himself well Harry sets him free but he kind of sets himself free too because he chooses to put himself out there and to Mm. say there is something that matters more than this and I thought this is absolutely amazing and so at the same time people on the unit who I was there reading my Harry Potter books and people around me were knitting and crocheting and I thought oh that seems just so much fun I I hadn't really thought I, I would do anything like that I, I I admit, I admit, I thought that's a bit of a granny thing to do. But mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try it. So first of all, I learned how to knit and I enjoyed that. But then I decided to learn to crochet because I like the idea that with whereas with knitting, it's all on the needle. And if you drop your stitches, you're a goner. Crochet, it's <laughs> all, um, it's just got the one loop. So if you're crocheting something, you can just stop it, take the hook off, and your piece is there, ready formed. It's also, um, I think, an easier way to make animals and toys because it's all done in one piece. You've not got so loads of bits. And I thought, I'm going to learn to crochet. And I was working on various patterns. By this point, every time I went on daily from hospital, I would go to different yarn shops. That kind of became my thing as well. When I was on day leave and I would say get an afternoon out where I'd be going out and I'd have to have a snack out and rather than making the focus on having the snack out I planned my leave around different yarn shops around the city so one day I would go to this yarn shop and I would go to the yarn shop before getting my snack and then I would go to the cafe but I'd be going into the cafe feeling really happy because I'd gotten all this yarn and and I spent the time in my notebook like writing out pattern ideas as I ate my snack and it was a really positive thing again the focus wasn't about my eating disorder or even the focus wasn't even about recovery it was about me creativity crochet doing something I loved and the food was kind of fueling me through that and that's amazing actually that makes me really happy yeah but I think it's again it's what staff first told me and it's the one of the best pieces of advice I've had and I've held on to which is what makes you 
happy and the reality is that my identity is not an eating disorder like it never was but it became mm -hmm. that and I was thinking I need to build a life for myself and an identity that is authentic and is actually me and what makes me happy mm -hmm. and I after I was discharged I I had my crochet but what ended up happening was I stopped and this was a real red flag for me that I should have noticed but it started to be that my eating disorder wedged its way in more and the crochet wedged its way out again and I didn't really have a huge focus either because I still had nine months before I was due to return to my degree and I ended up back in hospital in the November so I was out for about seven six seven months and I ended up back in and at that time I thought I need to come up with a proper plan here and I need to make sure this is really sustainable and one of the staff members said to me because by that point I'd, I had done a bit of crochet when I was out and she said to me you are really good at this have you thought about opening an Etsy shop and I'd heard about Etsy and I'd done, I think, a couple of orders from there. But I, I thought, well, I'm not good enough. And she said, well, why don't you try it? And it was also something that could be a focus for me when I came out of hospital. Because by this point, the reality was I was not going to be restarting my degree that January. I'd just gone to hospital in the November. It was going to be another year out of uni. I needed something to have a focus for. I could do, I planned to do some charity work and volunteering in schools and all that, but I needed something else. Mm -hmm. And I, I was starting to move away from following patterns in books. I went online and I looked up for a, a free elf or a house elf pattern. And I thought, I'm not really feeling any of these patterns. Like they, they just don't really say Dobby to me. So I thought, why don't I just try making one myself if I'm not happy with what's out there and I'll just create it and I did and that is Subumble the the elf the original elf I made who Aww. I still have today and on one of the ward trips we went to see the Fantastic Beasts film and that was so exciting and instantly when I watched that film I thought these creatures are amazing I am identifying with so many of them, but most of all, Newt. I absolutely loved Newt because he reminded me of Luna. He's a bit different. And I actually read that Eddie Redmayne, when he was talking to producers, he said he his view is very much Newt is on the spectrum um, and, you know, struggles with social situations and also, but he just sees the world a little differently and is kind of saying that that can be a good thing. Yeah. And, actually to celebrate that and I really yeah I really resonated with Newt and I thought this is as someone who is passionate about animal rights you know I'm a vegetarian I have long been you know trying to encourage people to stop using like animal tested makeup and I often as well talk about animal rights in my Instagram stories and I've done some I've raised money for various animal charities in the past and um, through my Etsy shop so I really loved that. And I thought, as soon as I got back, I need to crochet myself a niffler. I need a niffler in my life. And again, <laughs> I looked online and all of the patterns I saw, I was thinking, these don't really look like nifflers. 
and no no offense to the people who created them but I, I wasn't finding a pattern I loved online and so I was like well, I'm just gonna create one myself and then I started thinking well if I can create a niffler why don't I create a bow truckle if I can create a bow truckle why don't I create a moon calf and I just kept having a go at creating and I mean some of my original ones are hilarious they're so bad but I thought okay I'm gonna open I was sharing them on Instagram and I was using hashtags and through hashtags I think people were starting to find me and saying this is really cool like we haven't seen anyone else who's doing like a crochet moon calf and I thought okay I'm just gonna give this a go I'm gonna set up an Etsy store and see what happens so I did and I just listed them as I made them thinking no one's gonna buy these and by some miracle people did and then I so this is in 2017 and I spent so I spent the next few months I did some school volunteering and I because that's kind of primary education is the field I'm in in my muggle life now and I was doing my Etsy alongside that and I ended up going back to uni and when I went back to uni I took all my crochet hooks with me I took and that was a really big thing in itself because I thought people are going to think this is so weird a university student there with all our crochet stuff but I was <laughs> at this point I was like I'm just going to do what Luna would do which is take a crochet with her don't care what anyone else thinks yeah and I did and sadly history repeated itself a bit with in terms of as soon as I got back into that environment of academia I got very I need to get first I need to get an honors degree I need I need to you know be miss academic perfection and I stopped crocheting as much and I just scraped through but I ended up back in hospital um which I pleased to say third time's a charm touch wood because that was my final like third that's the last time I was in hospital and what I also had was at this time CBT and this was the game changer for me getting it just cognitive behavioral therapy um yeah this was the real game changer for me because the therapist I had was just incredible she was so empathetic she she reminds me a bit of how I imagine Lily Potter would have been you know what everyone in the often in they say Lily was just that kind of person who's just nice to everyone and sees the yeah. best people even if they don't see it themselves and she absolutely was that she was my number one cheerleader but she also was a real pivotal person in me forming my value system so we created something called a formulation which is therapy you kind of it's a formulation for how it almost maps out your life and I designed my own and by this point I was also getting quite into digital art and so I designed my own formulation and I did it where I had a beehive at the bottom and I put into the beehive all of the things that I felt were ingrained not like core beliefs of mine but they were things that I had gotten into my head over time and this is all connected to right when I got my diagnosis with my diabetes and when I started thinking that academic perfection so it it helped me identify the root and that's what I think a lot of the time with 
one of the one things I'll say about inpatient treatment, I think, is it can very much focus on the mechanics rather than the root causes. And so it's like it's treating it rather than finding the source of it. So you're putting a Band-Aid on it. Um, yeah. And it helped me realize that very much my issue was rooted. And you can see one thing, numbers over words. That was where things went wrong. When numbers start to become more the most important thing in my life, that is my red flag. And I think Instagram as well, over time as I've written my captions, has helped me solidify that belief that numbers can be the root cause of not just my issues, but the issues of society. <laughs> um, when people think that numbers will bring them happiness, mm-hmm. you can't tell a story in numbers. Like you can't create a life I don't think in numbers um you've got to be able to find meaning through words and emotions and stories and I decided yeah. this formulation and out of the honey pot I had little bits of honey kind of honey patches and the idea was the things that are keeping me stuck so I put the things that were keeping me stuck went in the sticky bits of honey on the ground and so that was perfectionism um that was numbers, that was academia. And then I did above the honey pot, I had these hills and I had these clouds and bees were flying all around the clouds as if the bees had flown from the beehive. And in the clouds, I had my values. So the things that actually mattered to me. And so in that I had nature, I am a huge lover of going on walks, enjoying being in nature, but not just to go on mad walks and I did a lot of that at uni you know with just walking when I could have gotten public transport just and it was the walking there was not a good motive behind it it was very Mm -hmm. ordered whereas actually my values told me I love nature for what you see when you're in nature it's stopping to look at this tree and stopping to hear the bird song and taking it all in as you're walking and being conscious of your surroundings whereas when I was walking all I was thinking about was how many steps have I done how many steps have I done yeah so nature was one of them um creativity was another I've always been such a creative soul when I was a child I was the one building an elf house for the elves at Christmas because I felt mm-hmm. it was such a rough deal they were there making all the toys and then Santa and the reindeer get you know a, a slap at me credit yeah nothing I was like this is positively barbaric as Hermione would say uh, and I built an elf house I loved painting I loved writing stories just anything creative I was there for it and then the third one was books so I absolutely love stories I love reading and also that connects to um, education I am so passionate about early years and learned the process of reading for children also for children reading books that are targeted to their intelligence level and their imaginative capacity rather than their reading ability so the importance of reading to children even beyond the point where they can technically read all of that so that was I thought these are my values these are the things that matter to me in life an eating disorder is not in any of that yeah And that's when it just, it clicked for me. I thought this eating disorder does, serves all the stuff keeping me stuck. 
it doesn't serve anything about me flying free and moving forward. And by having that knowledge, I think that really fueled my social media content that I thought as I'm, I've now, I was, my platform was growing, more and more people were finding me, my actual crocheting abilities were getting better. And I think that more people were acknowledging that. Like I was, I felt I was actually getting really proud of my products. I was refining it all. But I thought, I don't just want this to be a place where I'm putting a picture of Mooncalf saying, Mooncalf's now my Etsy shop, 34 pounds. Come buy one. Like that, that's just so not me. I thought, I want my social media to be a place where I'm telling stories and I'm sharing my values. And if people like what they see in terms of the items, yeah, go, go, there's a link to my Etsy store in my bio. I've got it in, I've got it in my bio saying Etsy store below, like people can find it, but I'm not going to make the focus being on making sales. I'm going to make the focus be about building more of an ethos mm-hmm. and that's how I very much see it I call it brand B um which again you know sounds very Gilderoy but I see it as this isn't a business it's a brand and in terms of the core meaning of a brand which is about an overall vision and that's kind of how I feel about it that Bumble and B even the fact that Bumble and Bee is not a magical name. I, I did consider changing it about 18 months ago or just before the start of um, the pandemic, really. I thought of changing it to um, Fantastic Beasties, which would have been such a mistake on copyright grounds for starters. <laughs> but, <laughs> I like your name actually a yeah, lot. For me, it was Bumble and Bee. Is ex- it was before I had an Etsy store, I had a blog which exciting news will actually soon be an e-commerce store called Bumble and Bee. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. setting up my own Shopify store, which is going to have a blog into it. So I'm going to be doing wow. more blogging. But I came up with the name. I had, when I was in treatment, I was got really close to a girl who I very much, she reminded me so much of Luna. That is scary how much she reminded me of Luna. And she used to we both had a habit of saying sorry all the time like mm-hmm. even if you know we've we slightly bumped into someone I'm so sorry or just apologizing for things we didn't need to apologize for and so we came up with this little thing every time we wanted to say sorry we'd say bumblebee and oh that is so cute yeah I should I should do that I've gotten into a bad habit of saying yeah. sorry yeah it's just like like correcting each other but I also I've always had quite a spiritual connection to bumblebees because firstly, I very much think that they should have been the Hufflepuff mascot. I mean, they're even black and yellow. So, mm-hmm. but they're hardworking, they're um, community orientated. But the other fact I love is that they resonate for me with the book Matilda by Roald Dahl because it's mm. me. So for many reasons, bumblebees, I felt a connection to them. And even Dumbledore, his name comes from Bumblebee, mm-hmm. and which I found out a, a few years ago. And also bumblebees, um, the way that they're built aerodynamically, they shouldn't be able to fly. And I didn't, I found this out two years ago, I think, but their wings, apparently they, the way that they're built on their body, it's a, almost defies, they almost defy gravity. 
when they fly. And so essentially that's, they're a symbol of possibility and defying expectations, which I just thought was brilliant. And so I love bumblebees and the idea of bumble and bee. And it's why I very much, when people occasionally spell my business name, bumble, and B with two E's I'm like no it's B with one E because the whole point is it's like a play on words yeah about bumble is often a word people use to say stumble or yeah do errors and it's the idea well actually celebrate your bumbles celebrate yeah. your because it, the bumbles it's like my how to fail it's how to bumble you learn how to be and to actually succeed because you're yeah just you're learning from those bumbles and then b is something i often say which is just about learning how to be because before you can do everything and i was such a doer i spent so many years trying to do everything and almost judge my life by a to-do list and actually it's about learning unless you can learn to be with yourself and be content in yourself and be grounded as a person no matter how many boxes you tick off on that to-do list, it's not going to fulfill you. I mean, I even remember at uni, I'm not at uni, at high school, um, which is my senior school, I got, uh, I got a prize for like two years in a row. And the second time I noticed that the high, so to speak, you kind of get that adrenaline rush, high feeling excitement, was far less the second time and it just shows that you can think that achievements and successes and attainment and tangible physical things will make you happy and actually if you're not happy in your core being those aren't though they're only going to be temporary highs and that's just not a sustainable way to live and yeah, yeah and that's the whole ethos I think at Bumble and Bee is because I built my business on that time in my life where I was learning all those things. So for me, the idea is the business name reflects where I started and why I create. Because for me, creating these beasties is what helps me with my recover with my like ongoing recovery and my sense of being able to be content and actually find joy in creating. If that makes sense. <laughs> it, it makes all the sense in the world. It does. And I'm really happy that you found a way to recover and heal and, and just this community to support and, and yeah. love you and, I think that um, your sharing your story is super helpful for other people too. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think I, I've always hesitated on like how much to share. And, and that's why, like I said, at the start, I wasn't going to share intimate details of when I was ill because that's not really the point. And that for me, that doesn't, serve the that's not needed to tell the story no, I I agree I think you know think, you don't need to tell yeah the, yeah but I think it's, it's more about the healing part of it yeah and that's the thing and that's why my focus is always on that you can be in a really bad way um you know the point where you're in a hospital but 
you can still find that light and that sense of purpose. And that's why I tell anyone who is struggling, you know, just find your purpose and find something that fuels you because you need something that fuels you and your soul rather than fueling, you know, the thing that's keeping you stuck. And at the end of the day, any mental illness, it doesn't, it may feel like it's serving a purpose, but that's a false illusion. And it, it does maybe serve some purpose, but it's only if you haven't found all those other pieces in your life. And so I very much feel because I was in a point where my life where I didn't have all those creative outlets and I didn't really allow myself to, I even stopped, you know, and I'm only just getting back to it now. And this is a sign of how, you know, my recovery is very much still ongoing, but I'm only just back at a point where I'm reading books for pleasure because Mm -hmm. for so long with my degree and also even before then at school, I was reading books that were set for me on a syllabus. Mm -hmm. And the, even the idea of reading for pleasure, I just felt was an unnecessary indulgence. Um, and actually I'm learning now it is absolutely a necessary and it's not an indulgence. It's an, it's a necessity for me because yeah. it's fueling my soul and it's fueling my sense of being um, because I love stories. And I think that is what, if I can give any, I know means an expert with all the qualifications but I am an expert in life experience is saying find something that inspires you and fuels you because you can't what often I think happens in treatment is you take away the mental illness which seemed to serve a purpose and any mental illness does fill a void and but if you take it away and you don't put anything in its place then the, the inevitable thing that is going to happen is it's going to come back. Like, I don't know how anyone who claims to be a professional can think taking something away and not and leaving that void is sustainable um, because it's not. You, you've got to find something else that makes you feel alive and makes you want to get up in the morning. That makes your soul smile. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Makes your soul smile and that's why I'm also I often say encourage people to learn crochet and to you know I I love it when now obviously I'm creating I'm releasing my patterns people can pattern test that's so exciting for me because I feel like I'm more people can experience the joy of making them and which is just lovely I'm I'm really happy that you're doing that too so um where where can people find you if they want to like test your patterns buy your products find you on instagram where should people look so probably the best place to go is my instagram because as i said i'm i'm not going away from etsy but i am looking to have a hybrid thing where i have an etsy alongside my own website which i already have the domain name so it's going to be bumble and b and with one e (laughs) <laughs> and with, that's with one e and it's just going to have its little dashes between the bumble and b m.com but the best place is probably instagram where i'm bumble and b with an underscore line between each word okay. and i kind of i share everything there i 
have I'll be I'm talking about like which patterns I've got coming up so I'm currently people are currently testing my demi guys pattern which I got the first photo on Sunday I think it was of the first person to finish it and then just this morning I got a photo of someone who'd made the demi guys in fluffy yarn and it firstly I need to find out where this yarn is from because I've been struggling to source my demi guys yarn and this looks identical to it um but they'd tested it and it looks so fluffy and cuddly I just want to give it a giant <laughs> um and it's just, it's amazing when you think oh wow I designed this and it actually works like so when I did my elf pattern it was so much more complex than any other pattern I'd published that thus far and so when I sent it out to testers I throw in the email I absolutely expect this to fall flat at some point please message me if and when you get to this point and then two days later someone messaged me saying I've completed the elf here's a photo and I thought it like how is this possible that it works and it was also so so emotional because I just thought back to four years previously when I'd crocheted Sir Bumble, my first ever elf, who looks nothing like my elves do now. They've evolved a lot. But I thought that's just amazing that they actually work and it's actually happening. And it, it, yeah, it's just been such a lovely experience. And what I love as well about pattern testing is, again, it's another way to connect as a community because people... You, you feel like people are a part of something and then when people have tested them they share them on their social media which yes is great free promotion for my pattern yeah. but it's also just other people who follow me follow these people and they see them and they think and they're celebrating with me they're like little cheerleaders in the comments going wow it's Sophie's pattern this is and it, you feel like people are a part of something. And again, it goes back to, I never wanted to be a business where it was all about, a tr it was all transactional. And it's mm -hmm. all about, you know, rushing things out to make a load of money. You know, I my patterns, I spend months on each one before it even goes to testers because I really want to make sure it's got value and that people can really connect with it and you know it's because my view is that anyone you know who's buying the pattern they are it, it wasn't an easy decision for me to even release them because they're so close to my heart and they took so long to develop I was really hesitant about publishing them I'm one of the things I do state in my patterns is that they please don't use them commercially in other words, please don't make them to sell. And I know that a lot of patterns out there are for commercial use and I can absolutely, you know, people are entirely, I can see why, why they do that because it does limit the amount of people who'd want to buy the pattern, I guess, if they know they can't use it commercially. But for me, that was just quite important that I do like the idea that the only place you can buy them is from my Etsy shop just because they are so kind of personal to me um yeah. but people still they say they just love making them for you know family and friends and for themselves and I've really enjoyed that's the other thing when people say it's a really fun pattern to do because I am someone I admit I'm 
I don't really like following patterns for someone who <laughs> publishes. <laughs> probably a terrible thing to admit, but um, that's kind of partly the reason why I develop my own. Apart from I'm the same way though with recipes. Yeah. I get it. I like to cook, but I don't like following a recipe. Yeah, so I just I, I get it. Not fun. <laughs> yeah. So I very much wanted to make my pattern fun, and this is why when I write them, I keep it quite lighthearted so the start of every pattern I write an introduction which tells a little bit of the backstory to how I develop the pattern but also includes the occasional joke um because I just think if I whenever I've done crochet patterns in the past I feel it can take them they can take themselves very seriously and I'm I'm now imagining as I say seriously it's spelled seriously like serious black yeah (laughs) Um, but like I, I think I even used that in one of my patterns, that that word, that pun. Um, but I think you've got to, if I'm starting something, and I do this, so I work in primary education, and one of the things I always try and do is the Mary Poppins mantra, which is, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You know, yeah. you've got to have a bit of excitement in there and if I'm reading a pattern, I would personally love it if halfway through when I'm feeling a bit, oh, that was quite hard. The creator, so I did this in my elf pattern, says, if you've managed to complete this um, this step in one piece, congratulations. Give yourself a tea break. Because yeah. I, literally at that point in the pattern when I'm making them, I do want a tea break. So I think it's, yeah, it's again, it's about me. I think if I'm gonna do patterns I'm gonna do them my way and my way is being quite down to earth and relatable rather than standing on a hill looking down saying come on buy my products look at me I'm a professional pattern designer it's like no I'm, I'm very much cottage industry over commercial industry no I think it's great and it and it does it does create fun while you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I have seriously appreciated having you on today. And I hope everybody checks out your page. I know we have a lot of crocheters in the community. So hopefully they'll either buy your patterns or um, your product. I know we have a huge BCs in Potter um, following and I really appreciate you sharing your story with us no thank you for having me and you know if anyone just you know it's not even about buying the patterns if people just come onto my page and read some of some nuggets with <laughs> stories or and if that makes their day better then I call that magical mischief managed because like, that's, that's the best thing me and I really appreciate you having me I'm sorry how much I talk I realize I talk a lot (laughs) no it's it's good (laughs) that's why that's why you're here is to talk so and we love listening to you thank you well thank you so much for coming on today thank you so much